Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chick days. Sure she'll stop farming when pigs fly. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Good morning and thanks for joining me on a Thursday. I'm Stephanie Hoff filling in for Farm Director Pam Youngke. I'll be closing out the week and the year with you. What a privilege. And the weather isn't too bad either as we welcome 2023. This morning will be cloudy with a growing chance of rain in the Madison area. Winds will be around 10 miles per hour, but we can expect temperatures in the upper 40s by later this afternoon and into the evening. Ag meteorologist Stu Muck is coming on in about 15 minutes with more of those forecast details. Also this morning, we'll hear from Andy Fallman with EverEgg. He's got some news for us on how the recent storms are impacting the supply chain and milk prices. We'll also talk through the recent cold storage and cheese sales numbers. Before that, you're going to want to stay tuned for a conversation with Congressman Ron Kind. He'll be retiring January 3rd, but he's got insight on what we can expect on trade policy and the farm bill in the new year. Don't forget, we've also got markets and more agribusiness news coming your way, all right here. As a dairy farmer, you depend on your milk receiver pump. McFin Technologies of Kenosha introduces the impressive Bowpeller pump. It's quieter, there's lower maintenance, as the seals last much longer than your old milk receiver pump. It offers a more powerful cleaning cycle with higher velocities, and it doesn't degrade the quality of your milk. Ask your dealer for the Bowpeller milk receiver pump, patented by McFin Technologies, an American company committed to providing a better product for the dairy industry. 2022 was a mixed year for net income for commodity prices, uh, not only in the United States, but around the world. Bob Osel here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. And looking ahead to 2023, what's going to happen in the Ukraine? What's going to happen for weather around the world, including drought in the United States? Stephanie, some of the experts are willing to stick their neck out and make predictions. That's right, Bob. And right now the prediction is that we know the global agricultural marketplace is always changing but the prediction is that another great economic reset is happening right now. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. This is according to economist Dan Bossy. He's the president of Egg Resource Company. And he says between inflation, severe weather, war, and limited farmland, economic competitiveness is going to shift from global to regional. He explains how this shift is going to impact agriculture in the coming year. And he also shares how Wisconsin farmers can stay profitable even when the world trade picture is starting to shift. Yeah, so as we think about the world, you know, we've really changed after the pandemic. I don't want to call it the roaring 20s, which is what happened after the last pandemic, but it's somewhat similar in that market volatility is going to remain extreme. Some of this is related to trust. I think we mentioned in the conference about trust. We don't have trust of political leaders. We don't have trust of the media. We don't have trust of our neighbors sometimes. And so all of this trust leads to market decisions and leads to markets being much more volatile, which along with... Uh, what we believe to be uh, something in related to globalization and then a change to regionalization really gives us this new era in world and American agriculture. And what does this mean from uh, um, the marketplace standpoint, whether it's dairy, whether it's corn and soybeans uh, and dairy components, not just fluid milk? 
Well, you know, when, when the corn market or dairy markets were moving $2 a hundredweight or 40 cents a bushel, markets were not as important as they are today. We're seeing markets now move a couple dollars in corn, six or seven dollars in milk. This has been happening uh, routinely. And so when, when we look at producer net revenue, the amount that you get to keep, we're now finding that over 60% of that net, net revenue is your decisions of what you market your crops or milk or other things are in the marketplace. So never before has information and markets been more important in American agriculture than they are today. And on the input cost side of things too, whether it's feed or whether it's fertilizer, can you give us a global view at how the marketplace for those items impact Wisconsin farmers going into the new year? Yeah, you know, if you think of our friends in Russia and Belarus, I mean, they account for 43% of the world fertilizer production. That area is in turmoil right now with the war. Uh, Russia's promising to boost up their fertilizer exports, but as you think about pricing, it's gonna stay high. Everybody has their hands in the American farmer's pocket, uh, uh, whether it be uh, higher interest rates, higher diesel prices, higher fertilizer prices, higher seed prices, labor prices. There's not one area on the farm that isn't seeing a higher uh, price hike this year compared to last year. And I think that trend basically continues, but this gives the farmer anxiety because his costs are going up and he now needs to make sure that there's a margin there, but that margin in market terms is volatile. And so uh, understanding all of this and putting it together into a plan becomes more difficult. We haven't touched yet on weather and how that's impacting our global agricultural market. Well, you know, again, I'm not political on either side, and and, and some people see climate as being a political argument. My vision is that we know by the data that climate is becoming more variable, and we have a new word in our office called heatflation. If I look at just the past year, we've seen episodes of heat we've never seen before globally. India making it up to almost 140 degrees last March. This has a big impact on crop production. It's really caused global crop yields to stagnate. Now, if I don't have global crop yields rising as they normally do, to technology and better farming practices, that means we need more acres. And so our forecast is that the world needs to bring in crop production, additional 24 million acres in the next five years. That's not coming from the United States, the black season problem, South America needs to do it, but it's a hard ask and it's a hard place to do that kind of acreage increase. Um, Before we talk about production numbers here in the U.S., I want to go back to another implication of weather. Mississippi River levels, record low. Can you elaborate more on that, a key transportation vein in the U.S.? If you think about the Mississippi, it is the artery of American agriculture. I mean, it's the the competitive advantage that we have to have that river flow through right in the right spot for American agriculture to bring our product to the Gulf, but also bring back fertilizer and other goods that we need to the north. So, so, so important. The price of moving things on the river these days is now two and a half times above normal. And so when you look at the cost of corn or soybeans or wheat down at the Gulf, those prices are some of the highest in the world. And when you're the highest price, that means that importers don't buy that. The river levels today as measured in St. Louis are negative. And so the only way we keep the river flowing is by aggressive dredging. And that dredging costs a lot of money. And so uh, if we don't get some changing in the pattern, if we don't get our river level improving as we turn the calendar to 2023, this is going to become a bigger issue. We've kind of been doom and gloom <laughs> this conversation. I want to ask you if there's any optimism before we talk about some of the other issues that farmers will be facing in 2023. Um, what, anything you're looking forward to, anything positive or optimistic from your standpoint? 
Well, I, I think generally, I mean, we're talking gloom and doom because of the world logistically and some cost structure. But when you look at the demand side of agriculture, the world will consume more grain this year than we produce for the second time on record. And so this is really important. We're in demand-led markets. We've got new uh, demand drivers such as renewable diesel sponsored by California, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, we've got very strong cash mar markets because of crush margins that are as high as 3 or $4 a bushel in soybeans. So there's some really things to be bullish about. I, I just worry about the volatility and want to encourage farmers to use that volatility to their advantage when they think about markets and their opportunities. Soybean meal may become cheaper for dairy cattle feed, other livestock, something maybe to take advantage of in the next couple of years? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the amount of soybean meal crush facilities being built across the United States, U.S. crush capacity will increase 26% in the next three years. We've never seen that in a decade, much less three years. North Dakota has more crush capacity than soybeans. So this is a demand driver. This is all because of renewable diesel and those big credits that California, Washington, are, and, and Oregon are paying for low carbon fuels. The problem with is that if I squeeze a bean, soybean, I get 11.6 pounds of oil and 47.5 pounds of meal. What do I do with all that meal? And so the dairymen will be key to that. Meal prices will head down over time. We only have two export points to get rid of meal around the, to the world. So domestically, I've really got to take up meal consumption. Dairy is going to be very key to that. And dairy may be key in another sector as well, the beef industry, which you say are confident in a bullish beef market. Yeah, the big beef bull market for agriculture in 2023 and 2024 is cattle. The U.S. cattle herd is now uh, dropped, beef cow herd has dropped to levels we've not seen on record. So as the western drought continues to limit forage availability and cow slaughter rates stay elevated, the bullish market for cattle really comes into four. And I need every dairyman to think about breeding some of their lower part of their herd to a cross so that we have another calf, bull calf, uh, Angus cross. Maybe it's a Hereford or something like that. But we need those wet bull, bull calves or heifer calves so that we can expand the cow herd and beef to get back to levels that will be sustainable. Today, the demand for U.S. beef is going to be outstripping supply for years to come. Another question you've been getting from dairy farmers, is lab-grown or synthetic dairy or meat products going to take over the marketplace? And you're optimistic that traditional agriculture has the edge when it comes to large-scale production. Oh, more than the edge. I think we are the catbird seat, and we really can go there. I, again, I, I, the, the food table is big enough that if somebody wants to try a synthetic dairy product or synthetic meat product, we need them. But I don't think it becomes mainstream. And we can look at Beyond Meat, and we can look at some of the Memphis meats or some of the other products and see that they just can't garner the kind of uh, uh, market share that is needed to be revolutionary. So again, they have their place at the table, but it's not the point that we need to be worried about in traditional agriculture, at least just yet. And before I let you go, uh, zooming in on the Wisconsin farm, a typical Wisconsin farm, anything else that they should be thinking about in 2023 when it comes to risk mitigation against what's happening on the global scale? Well, I do worry a little bit about China. I worry about the competitive position that the United States and China are now in, that we are, we, we, for the last 30 years, we've been working together and kind of walking a path of China, you, you make our toilet paper and we'll make your agricultural goods. That's now changing where we're both competitors in each direction. And so I do worry about that demand from China. I have an office in Brazil and I find the Chinese in Brazil more often than not. So they are really focusing their efforts on Brazil. Uh, but I do believe there's gonna be a, a time frame that, that 
that transition works and and we we modify it going forward i would tell this administration that you know china is a competitor but there's still enough world opportunity for both of us that we still should sort of walk together and that china needs agricultural products i would hope they get them from the united states and brazil just not brazil individually should we be ever afraid of China, whether it's their buying buying power or whether it's them dropping us as、uh, someone that they purchase from. I think that today, if the Chinese buyer had a choice of the same good from another country at the same price, they would choose another country because of the politics the United States has issued against them. And so, when I walk in the world and and see trades occurring or cash business, China will go out of its way to secure soybeans or corn from Brazil. They're now buying Brazilian corn, which just a few months ago was was would not happen. Phytosanitary Brazil and China have worked together to allow that to move. Forward, so I guess what I'm saying is we need to think of China as having other opportunities for their agricultural goods. It's not only the United States, and because of that, we need to be more competitive and more endearing in terms of our relationship. We're visiting with Dan Bossy, president of Egg Resource Company. He says it's going to be an exciting three to four years, and he suggests farmers find partners to help them digest the volatility in the global marketplace. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Stephanie Hoff. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how, and we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect, not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Because of you, someone gets to stay home in familiar surroundings. Because of you, there will always be a friendly smile. Because you. Are the bright star in someone's life? Bright Star Home Care is looking for caregivers and nurses. Bright Star believes working one-on-one with clients in their homes means better care. It's the reason you got into healthcare in the first place. Be the bright star in someone's life. Work with Bright Star. Apply today at brightstarjobs.com. Not only is William Thomas Custom Jewelry known for creating unique pieces. They're unique in their approach. They actually encourage you to shop around at other jewelry stores first. You'll quickly realize that William Thomas is no doubt your forever jewelry resource. Experience William Thomas Custom Jewelry. They'll help you create a one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear from day one. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration. Your custom jeweler. 
From her mouth to the field's ears, this is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back on a Thursday. Stu Muck joins us now with a look at our egg weather forecast. And Stu, I'll be honest, when I was outside this morning, all I heard was dripping as the ice and snow melts in these pretty balmy temperatures. And it looks like some rain today might take care of the rest of that lingering ice and snow. Well, it'll be some rain, uh, sprinkles or drizzle, how about that? But yeah, it's going to work on what's left of our snow cover, no doubt about that. Uh, Surprise me, I knew we were going to lose some, but I got up this morning when I let the dog out, it's like, wow, look at all that open lawn all of a sudden. That snow has melted off in a hurry. There's a downside there. That melting snow means moisture trapped right here close to the surface of the earth. That means some patchy fog, things like that. But it will mean more clouds rolling in today as well. And we have to look at a low pressure system down around Kansas that is going to push northeast and head right off through central, north central Wisconsin. As we make our way through tonight and into tomorrow, there's rain and snow in Nebraska, northwest Kansas this morning, some rain in northwest parts of Iowa, a little light snow up around Lake Superior, that lake effect stuff. That's not a problem for us, but expect as that low moves in with that fog and by this afternoon or evening, we could see some drizzle or a few sprinkles, some light rain around. Temperatures won't be quite so mild then into Friday, but some sunshine returns again at least to wrap up the week. I'll have forecast details right after this. My name is Cameron Olson, owner of Olson Solar Energy. It seems like it never fails. I get a customer turned online and their solar is producing. And sure enough, that next month I get a text or an email from that customer or they call into the office even or even come in. They want to show us their bill and say, look, zero dollars. It's always super exciting to be able to be part of that and have that joy and excitement with a customer. Go to OlsonSolarEnergy.com and start saving. Go green, save green with Olson Solar Energy. You know, when the temperatures were closer to zero, we saw a lot of folks on the ice either fishing or skating. But with 2023 bringing a bit of a heat wave, you're going to want to be careful out there. Stu, how is that first week of January going to treat us? Well, it looks still to be a little on the mild side, at least as it gets underway. The good thing uh, for ice fishermen and the like, uh, those temperatures should, after, you know, Monday, should at night drop back down to freezing or below, and that helps to keep that ice a little bit, but be very careful about that. Let's look at today. Mostly cloudy skies will develop. There may be some morning sun breaking through now and again, but the clouds move in. Some fog a possibility as we make our way toward midday, along with sprinkles or a little drizzle for the afternoon. Now I'd expect temps today in the upper 40s. We could see a 50 here or there. South winds are going to be around 5 to 15. They'll even gust near 25. Tonight, we still have the clouds, some very light rain or drizzle, fog around as well. That does quite a number on snowpack, no doubt about it. Nighttime temperatures drop back toward 30, upper 20s in western Wisconsin. South winds 5 to 15 could gust near 25, become west late in the night as well. Partly sunny Friday, still a fine day, mid-30s with the west winds at 5 to 10. Back to mostly cloudy Saturday, temps back into the upper 30s, maybe a 40 here or there. Winds will gradually become east about 5. Saturday night, there may be a little light snow or some sprinkles or something like that. And I'd expect New Year's Day with some clouds to still be up around 40 or so, Stephanie. Very mild, a real fine, mild way to start the new year. I'd say so. And nothing uh, too severe to claim, to complain about other than maybe that wind might get a little annoying, huh? <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel a bit chilly, but with the mild air, it's making that snow melt, so it all's working together. 
Thanks, Stu. We'll catch you back again here tomorrow morning and talk more about it. Hey, stick around. The second half of the hour, we're talking with retiring Congressman Ron Kind about egg trade and farm legislation. Stay tuned. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Huh. Nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Pest control? You've got a guy for that. Car repairs? You probably have a guy for that as well. For someone to custom design a unique piece of jewelry for you, or help your current pieces look sparkling fresh, that needs to be William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Affordable and local, William Thomas Custom Jewelry will help you create a desirable, one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear for years to come. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. You're no stranger to hard work and eating right, but your abs are more like flaps. Carbon World Health offers MSculpt, an FDA-approved treatment for men who want to transform their physique. One session is equivalent to 20,000 crunches without the painful recovery. Melt fat, build and tone muscle, then start getting the results you're looking for. MSculpt at Carbon World Health. Learn more at CarbonWorldHealth.com. Sweet of Metal Roofing customers choose us because they don't want to worry about their roof anymore. There's no curling, it won't blow off, and you won't find granules in your gutters. It's one and done. It is the last roof you'll ever need. I'm Mike. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweet of Metal roof. S-W-I-T-A metalroofing.com Sweet of Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. Chris Collini with a dirty little secret. Growing up, we were encouraged to track mud in the house. After all, dirt has been our family business for generations. Today, we rely on more than our boots to transport our nutrient-rich soils. We have bigger trucks and better equipment if you need it delivered. Or you can simply pick it up at our awesome dirt-filled processing plant. Take it from a worm. Trust the guys who know good dirt. Collini Topsoil. Now that's good dirt. 
You know who tells a great story? Our Tom's Auto Center customers, like Blake, who recently gave us a five-star review. It reads, I appreciated the emailed estimate and text message communication about the repairs. Thanks, Blake. Schedule your appointment, tomsautocenter.com. We'll make sure you get five-star service. Tom's Auto Center. Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music just like other families do over sports, camping, or other interests. And we talked. Little everyday conversations from silly to serious that built a foundation over time. Honest conversations. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. And I was so grateful that you and mom had become these sober, stable people who were always there for me. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs, whether it's music or anything else. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All right. So Jim Leonard, I have the audio. We just played it a little bit ago. I want to go back in, listen to it, kind of decipher it a little bit uh, to kind of figure out, you know, as much as we can through inflection, uh, statements made about where the mind is of one Jim Leonard. He did catch up with the media last night after the guaranteed rate bowl. The audio, a lot of background noise. It was on the field. There's, you know, you got the, the loudspeakers. You got players celebrating or Wisconsin celebrating. <laughs> nice, Dane. All right, here you go. Here is uh, Jim. Leonard. I'm going to pause it at certain times. We'll react to it a little bit. This is uh, about a minute and a half, two minutes long. It's short and it's sweet, but there is some nuggets in it. So let's Are you emotional? I mean, no, I, not not really at this point. I mean, came back to finish this off for the guys and to see them really from day one of the prep and how serious they were taking it. They wanted to finish it off the right way and didn't know if that was going to be the case. So I was excited for that. All right. Uh, is he emotional? No, not really. I suppose all the emotion, you probably went through all the five stages after you found out Luke Fickle was the head coach. A lot of anger, I'd imagine. I don't know how much bargaining would be as, you know, the reality sets in that you're no longer, you know, what you thought would be the heir apparent. The door was open to become D.C., turned it down. All right, here's more from uh, the reporters and Jim Leonard. How strongly did you consider perhaps coming back here to work with Coach Fickle for the future? And was it a, a difficult decision in the end? Um, I had some conversations, but I felt there was – other things that happened that, that forced me to, to make the decision to move on, really. So uh, I'm excited for the future, whatever that is. I'm not in a rush to, to make that decision right now. Just really focus on finish it off and being able to move on with, with a clear conscience. Being able to move on with a clean conscience. Also saying he considered it. I'm just going to put it. There was other things that happened that, that forced me to, to make the decision to move on, really. There are other things that happened. Had conversation with Luke Fickle, and there were other things that happened that forced him to move on. What does that mean? Is that how it was all handled? Your interim coach, the team looks inspired. 
playing a little better, right? Everyone held the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporting it multiple times. He's the coach. We all under the belief that he's the coach. And I was saying there's multiple things that happened that made me want to move on. Now, apparently Luke Fickle kept the door open for him to be D.C. We've all heard that. But a few things happened that wanted me to move on with a clear conscience. Man, did they do Jimmy Leonard dirty or what? Let's uh, hear some more. Be able to move on with, with a clear conscience. Have you had some conversations with potential Conversations with people, and you know, there's there's been nothing at this point where I felt like I needed to take, and it's kind of where I'm at right now. All right, so I had many conversations with many people about a new job. Now, if you're going to the college ranks, you're already all the good hires have already happened, or are they've already happened. You got to get on the recruiting trail. You got to get your thumbprint in it. You got to you know stamp what who you are to the program. That's why you see coaches leave before the bowl game. That's why you see you know people on the move so quickly. If anything, it feels like Jim Leonard would go pro to the NFL. All right, let's hear a little more. It bounced like these last few weeks. Feels like kind of knowing that you're still running the team. Or the defense doing it so far. Yeah, I mean, it's really been that conversation all year. Like you, you can do both. You know, you can think for the future and, and plan for the future, and also pour your heart and soul into these guys. So, it really, hasn't been much different than the last seven weeks of the regular season. All right, so Jimmy Leonard talking there about, you know, being the interim coach and then Luke Fickle getting hired and how it all operates, yada, yada, yada. Uh, not too much there. He's a pro. He's, you know, he's a pro's pro. Not going to sabotage anything. Badgers got a win last night. Let's hear a little more. You, uh, you pulled you up on stage. I don't know if you wanted that. Did you appreciate that gesture in any way? I mean, it ain't about me, right? All right, so la- I'm going to pause it there. Last night, uh, in case you missed it, I know it was a late game. Afterwards, when they were giving the, the trophy out, Luke Fickle stopped everything and brought Jim Leonard up. And this is what he's referring to. I mean, it ain't about me right now. It's his, his program moving forward, and, you know, I appreciate the respect I got from, from him and the players and the coaches. But, you know, they, they can have it. And, and uh, I'm excited for the future of the program. All right, so excited for the future of the program. Sows, cows, plows. Heck, anything connected to farming's on the menu here. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back on a Thursday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff filling in for Farm Director Pam Youngke. 2023, it's going to be a big year for agriculture as the Farm Bill becomes a focus in Congress. Two key agriculture trade seats have also been filled ahead of the new year. Doug McCallop is the chief agricultural negotiator in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. And Alexis Taylor is the undersecretary for trade and foreign agricultural affairs. And according to Congressman Ron Kind, the second half of a president's term is often when trade steps into the spotlight. Kind will be retiring on January 3rd after serving Wisconsin's District 3 since 1997. He's also been a key voice for Wisconsin Agriculture as a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, and that's where he focused on trade. He gives us some insight as to what we can expect from Capitol Hill in terms of trade policy and the 2023 Farm Bill. So I was having a long conversation actually with Glenn Thompson, my uh, friend from Pennsylvania, who's going to be the new chair of the Agriculture Committee, going over some of the things that I've been working on through the years and getting a sense from him where he sees the next farm bill going. And he's excited to take on that challenge, and hopefully the Congress will be able to work in a very constructive and bipartisan way uh, in order to produce a good farm bill that makes sense for 
not just our farmers, but for rural economic development and the broadband expansion that we need in rural America. You know, all of those things are encompassed in the Farm Bill. And just to remind listeners, Glenn Thompson is a Pennsylvania Republican who will lead the House Ag Committee. And your conversations with him, Congressman Kind, what is he excited about when it comes to the 2023 Farm Bill? Any insight you have for us on what's definitely a goal in that piece of legislation? No, he's optimistic that uh, we're going to be able to put together a good Farm Bill. Um, not just the Title I programs, you know, those cer- certain safety net programs uh, for commodity producers, but a strengthening of the conservation title, which I've always been very active on. You know, these are voluntary and incentive-based land and water conservation programs, and I've always wanted to make sure that our most precious uh, commodity, our topsoil, isn't our biggest export flowing into the rivers and streams and heading down south. And farmers want to do it. I mean, more of them are turned away from conservation funding assistance than what's available just because of the demand. They, they want to be good, good stewards. There's more room for improvement with agricultural research. There's a lot of exciting things happening there to help them be more efficient, more productive, more cost-efficient, uh, too. And, again, some of the rural development programs and the broadband programs will be very important with this next Farm Bill. Congressman, you've been a longtime proponent of trade in your role with the House Ways and Means Committee As you exit Congress, how do you feel about the Biden administration's trade agenda going forward? Well, we're off the rails, and I've been working closely with the Biden administration to get us back on the rails, get us back in the game, so that we're out there negotiating market access trade agreements. This is vitally important for our farmers, for rural America. But first thing up, we have to pass Trade Promotion Authority. And my concern is the rest of the world's not waiting for us. They're moving on. They're striking these bilateral, multilateral trade agreements without us. And that's not good because it further isolates us. It leaves us at a competitive disadvantage. I'm talking to the administration, including the president himself, about the need to develop a plan to get us back into that Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade uh, Agreement. We helped negotiate it. We led. And then we end up being on the outside looking in. And that's the fastest-growing economic region in the world, the Pacific Rim area. It makes no sense for us not to be included in that agreement. The structural reforms that we want China to make are all contained in this TPP trade agreement with enforceability. So at some point in the future, I'm sure China's going to want to join too. That then would give us the enforcement mechanisms to demand from China better IP protection, stopping forced tech transfers or joint uh, ventures that they require, you know, other state-subsidized industries which are in violation of global trade rules. All those would be contained in the trade agreement, and if China doesn't abide, we would have tools to sanction them. So hopefully the administration, by working with Congress, will figure out a way for us to to get back into that agreement. And similar to what we're hearing, too, from our federal agriculture groups, whether it's the U.S. Dairy Export Council or the U.S. Meat Export Federation, they always say they're continuing to push the administration for more free trade agreements or trade agreements in general. But what's holding the administration back? Well, you know, the first two years of any administration, it's more of a domestic focus. I mean, that just kind of is the way it works. But... Now I'm hopeful that with divided government and and the fact that, in reality, President Biden's domestic agenda is going to slow down a lot in the House, there may be a bipartisan opportunity to advance a more robust trade agenda. And that would, I think, start with bringing up trade promotion authority. And Republicans will need to cooperate with the administration and vice versa in, in order to reach agreement on that. And that would then give the administration the authority to go out and start negotiating some bilateral and multilateral trade agreements in the future. 
So, Congressman, once you officially exit this role, what's next for you? Are we thinking full retirement, or do you have other plans? I've had some discussions with the White House. There are a couple of assignments that they may, help, may need some help on, so we're exploring that uh, opportunity to continue serving in a different capacity. Uh, I've had an itch to teach, maybe get into the classroom, um, so I may uh, pursue that. I'd certainly love to stay involved in the trade policy arena. I think that's so important for our country and for our economy uh, back home in Wisconsin. So if there's a role for me to play on uh, trade policy as we move forward. So it's an exciting time. Representative Ron Kind along with us ahead of his retirement on January 3rd when the new Congress starts session. As you heard, he may decide to continue to serve in some capacity, but until then he outlines what we can expect to happen in D.C. regarding Farm Bill 2023. Hey, stick around for Markets and Andy Fallman with Everegg coming up. So I do love to entertain during the holidays, and I'll tell you what, I start my shopping at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen. Fabulous Farm Bay Pam Yankee here for Judy and the crew at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen. Their retail location, corner of Nesbitt Road, Fitchrone Road in Fitchburg, or open 24 hours a day, seven days a week online, BavariaSausage.com. Now I'll tell you what, if you're just into putting out dip and chips for entertainment, I understand, but boy, if you want to take it up a notch, visit with Judy and the crew at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen. That charcuterie board that you're putting together will come alive with flavor. The old world flavor featured at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen in all of their meats. They've got all those aged cheeses that you want to feature, and I'll tell you what, great conversation starter and wonderful on the tongue, all the authentic old world German chocolates that are available only at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen. Come on, this holiday season, take it up a notch. Start shopping at Bavaria Sausage Kitchen. The biofuels industry continues to push the Biden administration to approve year-round sales of E15, or unleaded 88. The reason it's not allowed to be sold in the summer is because of its potential to cause smog. E10 was approved, but E15 was not. Growth Energy wants the EPA to update its rule and allow E15 to be sold year-round. Attorney Joe Kagish tells the story. It's really unfortunate because if you look at the evaporative emissions profile of E10 versus E15, you'll see that E15 is actually better than E10. The evaporative emissions decrease between E10 and E15. So there is really no policy reason for not allowing E15 on the basis of evaporative emissions. And we tried to make that argument to EPA, and they did implement that rulemaking back in 2019 to fix that issue. Unfortunately, the D.C. Circuit and the uh, Court of Appeals heard it differently. So now we have to go back to either Congress to make that fix legislatively or for EPA to create parity between E10 and E15 in a different way that still isn't in line with what the court precedent has put for us. Again, that's attorney Joe Kakish with Growth Energy. And now we'll take a look at our commodity markets on a Thursday morning. From Chicago, cash corn is trading at six seventy-nine and a half, down three and a quarter cents. New crop corn is down a penny and a quarter at six ten and a half. Cash beans are trading at fifteen oh three and three quarters, down two and three quarter cents. New crop beans are up two and a quarter at fourteen fourteen and a half. Cash wheat is down eight and a quarter cents at seven seventy seven and a quarter, and new crop wheat is trading at seven eighty nine and three quarters, down six and a half cents. A rural Wisconsin community may be able to offer jobs, but not always the housing, and that's one issue that a partnership in Darlington is addressing. We're checking back in with the Meadows. It's a first of its kind development exclusively for farm workers. Construction is done, and tenants are moving in. 
Southwest Wisconsin Community Action Program is a partner in this development. Executive Director Wally Orshahusky gives us an update. So it's really kind of designed for families. Most of the units have either two or three bedrooms, uh, recognizing that uh, many of the, the agricultural workers, the farm workers, have spouses or partners and children. So it was kind of built with the idea that it's going to be primarily families. And, you know, originally, way back when, there was a lot of single men who came to work on, on farms, but that's no longer the case. Now it's primarily families. Other communities have reached out to him, interested in replicating farm worker housing in other areas of the state. Stick around for a conversation with EverEgg broker Andy Fallman next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. When it comes to custom jewelry, get to know your Denny's jeweler. The way Denny's works custom is based on emotions and it's based on the clients, what they are feeling and wanting and looking for. And eventually it evolves into this piece of art. I'm Nick Denny. Come meet the entire Denny's family at Denny's Jewelers. This looks like a car, has tires, headlights, a hood, windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors, open like them too. There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% of the time, this would be a car, but it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Tom Spitz and David Fink of Settlers Bank. We make it easy to access the bankers you know. Bankers who listen to your goals. Then offer expert advice and solutions that simplify even the most complex financial matters. Virtually or in person, we're here when you need us. To learn more, stop by or visit SettlersWI.com. Settlers Bank. Timely decisions. People you know. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. Because we know your barn smells like money. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. All right, welcome back. We've got Andy Fallman with us to wrap up our Thursday morning. Andy is a broker agent out of EverEggs Chicago offices. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Andy. The recent winter storm did not bring as much snow as I anticipated. But the frigid temperatures and the ice, those were very inconvenient. Folks were preparing to stay inside for a few days, going to the grocery store. Traveling was very difficult, to say the least. And you were telling me that the impacts are lingering in the dairy supply chain. To me, it's somewhat reminiscent, not to the same degree, but it's somewhat reminiscent of you know when we started to see some of the shelter-in-place orders back in March, April 2020, right, where folks more or less got prepared for to be at home for a while. You know, obviously there was a lot of stuff that got bought at grocery stores. We certainly saw you know, empty shelves kind of thing, right? But I think one of the things, one of the items that stuck out to me from that period of time a couple of years ago was like frozen pizzas, especially. That's an item that folks, you know, they stock up on. 
it can you know it can move the cheese market. I mean, it's a lot of cheese that ends up ends up in uh, frozen pizzas, especially. So not just that, but I mean, you know, stocking up for milk, et cetera, just all the different products. So it wouldn't surprise me if we did see something to that effect, where you had I mean, run on grocery stores, but also too a little bit tougher to get a hold of all the milk necessary to be able to run plants efficiently. You know, as folks may have had to dump you know a little bit of milk here and there. We were certainly hearing from folks that we work with around the country that that was the case. Not for everybody. To your point, not everybody got a ton of snow. I know we were forecasted. You know, where I'm at in Chicago, we were forecasted to get eight to ten inches of snow. I think we barely got two. Like I said, don't feel like it was the same degree that we saw back in March, April, 2020. But it definitely feels like there was some a little bit of a run on stores that I think could have, you know, kind of helped push uh, at least, you know, our intermittent spot market here up a little bit. I want to stay on the dairy supply chain topic. I want to ask you about some of the trends you're noticing in both the supply and demand picture. And But I want to start with demand. How does that look as we exit kind of our peak baking season, if you will? Yeah. Now, this is the time of the year where you typically start to see a little bit of a retracement in demand. You know, there's obviously some demand that picks up seasonally because of the, the Super Bowl demand, usually not a ton. But this is a, typically a time of the year where you start to see folks you know, rebuild stocks, try to rebuild some inventory. Cold storage, the most recent cold storage report tells us that there isn't as much cheese in storage as that maybe folks are thinking is going to be there. You know, there certainly was a bit of a positive reaction in the futures and spot market after that report came out. You know, That said, you know, with us, with respect to the rest of the world in terms of pricing, particularly like in Europe, for example, where you know they're kind of hovering around like a 235 cheese equivalent. You have a semi block market at 215, 216. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for folks to want to get aggressive in terms of putting cheese away. Um, so if that's going to be really the main bid here uh, going into the new year, it's it just it it feels like that that could cause the market to weaken up a little bit. Um, you know, and, and I think you know, one of the reasons why we had I feel like such a, a strong 2022 overall. Because we have such a robust export market, and you know, you, you typically need to be more, at least in my opinion. I mean, when you look at the, the the difference between the where Europe is and the CME block, for example, we need to be a little bit more of a discount to the rest of the world for us to be a little bit more to be more competitive. So, um, yeah, I think for me, in terms of demand uh, for 2023, it's you know, how well does our export market hold up? Do we see as good of exports as we saw in 2022? Yeah, and just to kind of recap, you know, cheese was up to start the week Tuesday, and then Wednesday on the close, we were unchanged. So are we going to start seeing then cheese prices start to fall now with, you know, demand? It, it feels it feels like that could be the case. I mean, that was my take on, you know, why we, we saw that initial jump leading into that, you know, the leading into like the Christmas time, obviously, you know, as folks, again, clean out, you know, grocery store shelves for, you know, those couple different reasons, but... And you're, to your point, you know, cheese today was unchanged. There was a barrel offered at that unchanged price, no block market. And futures, you know, have seemed to have had no problem today building in a little bit more of a discount to the current cash price. So if you, you know, plug in a block barrel away, add a little bit of, you know, typical premium that you see in the NDPSR report, um, you're trading around a, a class three equivalent of $20. So, you know, building in that discount is certainly pointing to, again, you know, we got through what seems to be kind of a spike in demand off of something that, you know, it's obviously impossible to forecast this kind of a major storm, right? But um, that far in advance. So it certainly feels that way um, as we head into the new year. So, Andy, you mentioned exports and how that's obviously a key player in today's dairy markets here domestically. But part of that conversation was the strength of the U.S. dollar. And I want to ask you why that's important in today's economy 
And what is happening with the U.S. dollar index? Well, we've seen, I mean, we've seen some, I call it over the last couple of months, we've seen some weakness. Um, do we see that persist? Right. And, and, you know, typically exports are kind of a big combination of, you know, what currency risk is doing, what our CME price is doing, what, what our futures market's doing, and then, you know, what the rest of the world doing in terms of their price. Uh, I think when we got down in the CME barrel market, for example, I think it touched below 170, maybe for 24 hours. It wasn't, it wasn't a whole, it wasn't there down there for very long. Um, but it certainly felt like we, you know, all of a sudden got competitive again, started to see some of that business pick up in terms of the export space. And so, um, yeah, I mean, as you know, as dollar gets cheaper, that obviously plays a role. Um, but I, I think too is you know if we can if we can see you know consistent weakness, especially if let's say they weaken up the block, take it back below two bucks, while the rest of the world kind of hovers, like I said, in Europe around that two thirty, two thirty five price. Um, I think we can you know get competitive again in that space. And you know, again for twenty twenty three, I think that's something to be really mindful of. Can we maintain the same level of export business that we had in twenty twenty two? I want to zoom in again, Andy, to your customers, boots on the ground uh, here in Wisconsin. What challenges right now are your customers trying to address? How do you feel about farm profitability as we head into 2023? I think it's. I think I. I, I think it will start to come under some pressure. You know, we've been seeing, you know, like meal, for example, meal traded up to I want to say 470 a ton. Um, saw a setback to 450 as of you know called 10 minutes ago. I was trading around back over 460, at least up front. So um, I, I think it'll be a little bit more of a challenge, you know, especially if we don't get our, our export business going, like we just talked about for cheese and some of the other dairy products too. I mean, I know the focus is on cheese here, but um, just overall in the whole complex. Because, you know, what we've been seeing, at least out of the, from the feed component side of the equation, um, break-evens just continuing to go up. Um, and, you know, not to say too, Cost of money has been something that has been certainly, you know, you got a pencil for uh, more. You know, we've we've gotten used to a, a, a pretty low interest rate world. Um, you know, that seems to be changing. So, uh, all in all, I, I feel like heading into the new year, you know, the, the the cost of doing business I feel like can continue to go up. Um, whereas, again, you know, depending on I, I feel like strongly based on you know what our export business does and can we get the same kind of demand that we saw in 2022. How much does the actual output side of things, you know, hold in terms of, or you know, really follow suit with what we're seeing out of the inputs right now? Andy Fallman, along with us, a broker agent out of Everegs Chicago offices. You can reach him at ajf at ever.ag. 